Welcome to worship. We're so glad that you've chosen to be here with us today. I'm Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we invite you to send us your email address and in turn, we'll send you a gift certificate for some coffee this coming week. We're so glad you're here. This is the final week of our sermon series, Revelation. Pastor Spencer has a great message ahead for us. I know you'll be glad to hear it. Speaking of the sermon, we have sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. Next up is Stephanie with our announcements to tell you about some of the great things that are happening here at Schweitzer Church. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Our Schweitzer Kids Fall Festival is coming up this Saturday, October 29th from 4 to 6 p.m., with an outdoor movie night featuring the movie Coco to follow. We'll have all kinds of great activities, so bring your friends and your family and enjoy a wonderful evening here on campus. We'll have activities both outside and inside the gym, so no matter the weather, this event is on. We'll have games, prizes, a pumpkin patch, and a trunk or treat. And by the way, we're still needing a few volunteers to help decorate and host a trunk for our trunk or treat. You can find out more information at schweitzer.church kids, or you can sign up and find out more by stopping by the Blue Booth today. Also coming up this week, our young adult ministry is hosting a party on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. in the Student Center Van Bay. And then on October 30th, they're hosting a lunch after the 1045 Modern Service. If you're a young adult in your 20s or early 30s, please come join us. We'd love to have you. For you music lovers out there, we have two community concerts coming up that will be hosted right here at Schweitzer. The first is coming up next Sunday, October 30th at 3 p.m. when the Mid-America Singers will be here to share music with us. After that, on November 5th at 6 p.m., we're hosting a very special concert with the Salvation Army Chicago Staff Band joining us with our Republic Community Band. Both of these concerts will be a delight to the ears and we really hope you'll make plans to be here. One last thing, the Schweitzer Food Drive for the Flourish Food Pantry is continuing and for the next couple of weeks, we're asking you to add items to your regular shopping list like canned ravioli, soup, canned fruit, among other things. You can even bring your items to the donation bins at the Fall Festival for a chance to win an additional prize. So there's a little incentive for you. You can find a full shopping list online at schweitzer.church flourish or by stopping out in the lobby today. We're so glad that you've decided to join us for this beautiful morning of worship. Let's continue with our service. Thanks, Stephanie, for reminding us of the wonderful things that are happening right here at Schweitzer Church. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hi to your friends or give us your insights. If you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you in the prayer room. Just press that button, they'll be right with you. And now let's continue in worship. Do 
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join with me as we talk to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, we glorify your name. We magnify who you are. We thank you for this day of worship and this time just to be in prayer with you. Thank you for blessing us with little miracles along our way each and every day. Help us to understand that we are yours to do your work. We thank you for the fact that you inspire us, but sometimes, God, we forget to allow that inspiration to happen in our hearts. We sometimes end up being lukewarm or or non-responsive to what's going on around us, God. We are here to serve you and to glorify you with our actions and our words. We thank you for those opportunities and we look forward to being your servants in this world. God, we continue in prayer as we pray together the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we want to highlight our student ministry this week. Here's Levi to tell us what's happening with our students at Schweitzer. What's up, y'all? I'm Levi Zinn, the Director of Student Ministries here at Schweitzer, here to tell you a little bit about what we have going on this fall. Next Wednesday, right here in the Student Center at our normal 6.30 time, we have a Halloween party. Then, next month in November, we're gonna have a Thanksgiving party. We're just doing a whole lot of partying this fall. I personally am so thankful for your generosity and support that make ministries like this possible. And I just know for a fact that our students are thankful too. Thanks, Levi, for letting us know what's going on with our student ministry here at Schweitzer. And thank you for your support of that student ministry and all of the great things that are happening here at Schweitzer. You can give online at schweitzer.church give. We thank you for your support. And next up, here's Pastor Spencer with our final week of Revelation. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. So glad that you're here with us. Today is part seven of our series over the most interesting book of the Bible. We're talking about Revelation. Now, next week, 
uh, we'll start a new series because today is part seven of seven. Our new series, four weeks, we're going to talk about uh, uh, developing a lifestyle of, of living in gratitude, a, a lifestyle of thankfulness. I'm really excited for this. I think this is going to be a great, helpful series, very practical for us as we walk through this uh, together. Today, though, part seven of seven of this series on Revelation. And if you haven't been with us, some of the uh, disclaimer we've been given each week is that uh, this series is a little bit different than normal for two reasons. One, Revelation is just different. I mean, today we're going to be talking about the four creatures that surround the throne of God. That's not the normal kind of stuff we talk about. Um, second, this series is different because if you've heard a lot of preaching and teaching on Revelation, our approach to this may be a little bit different. We're not going through this line by line, verse by verse, and looking at all the details and speculating about how all these things happen. Instead, we're focusing our attention on the first three chapters of Revelation, which help us understand the whole book. Because what the first three chapters give us is what we call context. And the first three chapters teach us that this book was written to some real people in a real place, in a real time, with real struggles, real things that needed to be addressed. And the first three chapters teach us that this was written to a series of seven churches in what the Romans called the province of Asia. Today we call that the nation of Turkey. Here's a map of the seven churches. These are real Christians who lived in these Roman cities with real things that they're going through. And the whole book is written to them to encourage them and to give them a word of good news. And that's what we find as we, as we read Revelation through their eyes. What we discover is that Revelation is not a book that is scary and something to keep at arm's length, but rather this is a book of encouragement, good news, and hope, especially to those who suffer. So today is part seven. This is the church of Laodicea. This is the last of the seven churches. And here is what Jesus says to them. This is Revelation chapter three. Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, what have we learned about these folks in Laodicea? Well, they're, they're lukewarm. And, and Jesus is, he's like, this is disgusting. I mean, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It's so disgusting. And we, we get the metaphor, right? You've had, you've had lukewarm coffee. It's terrible. Hot coffee is delicious. Iced coffee is delicious. But lukewarm, it's absolutely terrible. And so Jesus is, is comparing them to that, that something about their, their life, their faith is like lukewarm coffee. Now, we get the metaphor, but what do you think that means <clears throat> to be lukewarm spiritually? I mean, think about that for just a second. What kind of words come to mind as you think about being lukewarm? Maybe, maybe words like apathetic, <clears throat> or maybe words like, um, like complacent, or maybe, maybe something else comes to mind as you, as you think about this word. What does it mean to be, to be, to be spiritually lukewarm? Well, the next verse uh, that Jesus says, I think he, he hits on, on two key points of, of what it means to be lukewarm. So here's chapter three, verse 17, the very next verse. He says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So two things here, two, two keys about what does it mean to be spiritually lukewarm? Two things. The first thing they say is I am rich. I've acquired wealth. So there's something about this church in Laodicea where they are well off and they have bought into maybe the most common deception of all of humanity. I mean, this is a, a thought that has been with us for as long as there have been humans. And this is the idea that my life, a good life is found in what I have. To say it more bluntly, 
people start to believe that money buys happiness. And of course, we know this isn't true. I mean, the Bible has so much to say about that deception. And yet so many people spend their whole lives chasing after money because that's what they think is actually going to make them complete and full. Someone recently pointed out to me how you can see how this deception is is so false if you just look at the world today. I mean, of course, the Bible teaches so many things, but if you just look around the world today, you can see how false this deception is because this person pointed out to me, he said, he said, if you think about the world today, there has never been more wealth than we have right now. I mean, no point in human history has there been as much wealth as we have in the world today. And yet, if you're paying attention at all, especially in the West where the wealth is concentrated, people are miserable. I mean, rates of anxiety, depression, loneliness, they're just skyrocketing. And so if if money was the key to a good life, like why in the world is the place where money is concentrated so, so much also a place where people are just so miserable because this is a deception. Now these Laodiceans have, have bought into it. They're, they're chasing after money just like so many people live their lives doing. And Jesus uses this and he warns that this is a key to becoming a lukewarm person because you're, you begin to miss what it is that you really need when you think that money is just going to be the solution to the problems that you face. So one thing is they're chasing after money. The second thing is also in this verse that Jesus gives us. So again, he says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Did you catch it? You say, I, quote, do not need a thing. I'm good. I've got my problem solved. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-dependent. I'm self-reliant. Did you hear it? It's self, 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 self. There's something about these Christians in Laodicea where one, they're chasing after money, but two, they have become confident in themselves. And as they have grown in this confidence in themselves, their self-sufficiency, their self-reliance, their self-dependency, their focus on themselves, what the result is, is that they have become lukewarm. They're missing what it is that the Lord has for them. And so while they think that they're so well off, Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing it because the reality of it is, one more time, I'm gonna read it to you, The reality is you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't see your true self because you think that you're so self-sufficient and you think that money is going to be the solution to your problems. Now, Jesus keeps going here, verse 18. He says, so I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Like, I counsel you to to come to me, Jesus says, who can actually provide for you what you really need. And then he has these lines, they're so good. Verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And then verse 20, if you're reading from the Bible, it's going to underline. This is such an important verse. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so here was this church in this Roman province of Asia and the the city of Laodicea who have become self 
complacent, self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-dependent, focused on themselves, and the result is that they have become lukewarm. And Jesus is like, that's disgusting. You're missing what it is that you really need. You're missing what it is that I can really give you. You've closed yourself off. You've closed yourself off from, from the truth of what it is that I can offer you. And instead, you're living just for yourself. You're chasing after yourself. The purpose, the direction, the vision of your life has become focused on yourself. And the result is that you're now lukewarm. And so Jesus has this invitation to open the door, to be open to him as he's knocking on this door. Now, this invitation is, is really interesting. I stand at the door and knock. That's how chapter three ends. And we remember that what we're reading here is a, is a letter, right? It's written from the Apostle Paul to these seven churches. These are real people, real places and real time. And, and then when you're writing a letter, there are some things that you don't do. One of the things that you don't do when you're writing a letter is you don't tend to number all of your sentences. <laughs> like you, you don't tend to number these things, put chapters on them, and then, and then maybe put you know, numbers or verses, as we, as we might call it. Like when John was writing this, he didn't write, you know, chapter three, verse 22, and then write the words. And then chapter four, verse one, that's not what he did. He just, he just had one continuous thought. And, and those, those numbers were added much, much later. And there's something that's kind of bad about the numbers because when you come to these chapters and verses in the Bible, sometimes you come to the end of a chapter and, and you think to yourself, well, that's the end of the chapter. So close the, the book on that thought. Now let's go to the next chapter, which is a new thought. And you begin to kind of disassociate the ideas from one another. But that's not how John wrote the letter. When John wrote this letter to these Laodiceans, he just, he just wrote. One idea led to another idea, led to another idea. It was one continuous thought that he was giving off. And if you read through this without the numbers, what you find is that in chapter three, it ends with this invitation from Jesus to open the door. And then chapter four begins, the very next chapter, the very first verse begins like this. John writes, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Jesus says at the end of chapter three, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, they can dine with me and I'll dine with them. Chapter four begins and Jesus and John says, I, I stand here and I see the door of heaven that's open. Well, that's interesting. We keep reading here, verse two. It says, and the, and the voice that I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So as Jesus is talking at the end of chapter three about this door that we can open and chapter four begins with this door that's open, what we find is that this door that is open is opening to the very presence of God, the throne room of God. And don't, don't miss this. This is so, so, so important. I mean, when Jesus is inviting us to open the door, he's not, he's not inviting us to like, you know, just be open-minded, just, uh, you know, be, be more open to new experiences in life. That's not what he's, he's inviting us to. When he says open the door, he is inviting us to open ourselves to the very presence of God. And, and that invitation is absolutely astounding. I mean, if you know the Bible, you know that that is just an absolutely astounding invitation. Because, because in the Bible, there are only just a handful of times where people are allowed in to experience the presence of God. Now, of course, God is everywhere in the Bible, right? He's, 
He's, he's everywhere in life. I mean, he fills the heavens and the skies and the earth and all of that. But, but there are these times in the Bible where God's presence is, is shown to humans with like a capital P. Like it's a unique and special moment where the glory of God and the presence of God is available to humans. And it only happens just a few times in the Bible. I think about, for instance, um, Exodus 33 is one of these times. Moses is um, at a point where he is depressed and he's frustrated and he's overwhelmed by the, his, his duties of leadership and leading the people of Israel. He's at the end of his rope. He's burnt out. And so the Lord comes to comfort him and to encourage him. And what happens is that the Lord shows up to Moses and he reveals his glory to him. And here's how the Bible describes this. This is Exodus 33. I'm at the very end of Exodus 33. The Bible says this, when my glory passes by, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand till I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses, I mean, the man of God, Moses, isn't even able to see the face of God, the glory of God. The Lord hides him in a rock because the Lord is so holy, so holy and so good. And and Moses has to be hid from him. Like this is just this unique, special time where the presence of God is shown and yet Moses can't even see it fully. Or I think about Isaiah in, in chapter six, when Isaiah the prophet has this vision of the throne room of heaven. In Isaiah six, we read about this unique, special experience where Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, there were were angels, um, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or I think about in the New Testament, the time that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain of transfiguration. And we read this, this is Matthew 17. It says, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And so when you consider the big picture of the Bible, you realize that these moments of God's presence being revealed to people are special. They are unique. They rarely happen. And then there is this invitation in Revelation 3 of Jesus. And he says to this church in Laodicea, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, do you know what you find in the very next chapter? The very presence of God. It's astounding. Because there were these holy men and women in the scripture. Just a few of them were able to encounter God like this. And yet now because of Jesus, his death and resurrection, what the Lord is doing for us is he is inviting us into the very presence of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God in ways that people like Moses would have just dreamed of. The Lord is inviting us in now. It's an astounding kind of claim. And so John keeps going and he describes this experience of seeing the throne room of heaven. And here's what John describes it as. Uh, This is verse three. It says, the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone, shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. The elders um, are the most respected and, and honored in, in the kingdom of God here. And you think about the 24 number here, it's highly symbolic of, of the leaders that God has called um, 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 uh, apostles, the 12 and 12 here that we see. And, and they were dressed, these elders were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 
And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Like they don't miss a thing. They see everything. And, and the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now let's look at a few details here because that's really, really strange. Um, the four living creatures here, they, they each, first of all, had six wings. Six is a, a number in the Bible. It's often associated with creation, the six days of creation, for instance, as the earth is created in six days. The seventh day God rests, but in six days God created the earth. These four living creatures, notice it as well. It's not that the Bible is saying it was a lion, it was an ox, it was a, a, a man or an eagle. It, it's saying it was like an, a lion, like an ox, like a man, like an eagle. It's a, it's a representation of this. And if you think about these four living creatures, an ox, a lion, a, a man, and an eagle, these are like four of the strongest creatures that have ever been created. Four of the creatures that rule in their sphere in the earth. And as you think again about that number four, four is often a number in the Bible that's associated with the earth. Uh, you think about maybe the four corners of the earth or the four winds, the four directions of the earth. And so you think about this number as they're talking about, the, these are the, some of the strongest, the most uh, well-respected, the, the, the ones who rule the most in their sphere. This is what these creatures represent are the strength of all that has been created. And when you think about them in terms of their glory and strength and, and, and how they rule in their spheres, notice what it is that they are doing. Here's the very next line. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so these four creatures who represent strength of all that is created, represent the strongest of all that's ever been made, they find their purpose, the direction, the meaning of their life doing what? Worshiping in the presence of God. When we keep reading here, as we, as we see this, because we're not done yet, verse nine, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, so now we have the, the four creatures who are the strongest of all that's been made. Now we have the 24 elders who are the most respected, the most honored, the most wealthiest, the, the ones who stand at the top of the, of the chart here. These are the ones who have who, have, who could be self-reliant in every way possible because of what they've achieved and their standing in life. And yet notice what they do along with the four strong creatures who have been created as they are before the throne. It just says that they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns, their symbols of all that they've accomplished and all that they've done. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So here's this church in the Roman province of Asia, city of Laodicea, and they're lukewarm. They've become focused 
on themselves. And then Jesus has this invitation to them that if they would just open themselves past themselves, that open their hearts, that open their lives to something greater, what they're going to find is the very presence of God. The very presence of God that we see expressed in heaven, where those who are accomplished and wealthy and wise and respected and honored and strong, where they find the purpose, direction, and meaning of their lives to be found in worship of him who was and is and is to come. It's an incredible picture. This reminds me how in the 1600s, there was this program that was put together to help um, teach new Christians um, how to live a faithful life. New, new, this program that was put together, it was, a, it was a question and answer kind of thing. So the question would be asked and then, and then the new Christians would learn to the answer to the question, repeat the answer to the question. And it was called the Westminster Catechism. If you're from a Presbyterian background, you've probably heard of that. But the very first question that these new Christians were, were taught was this. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of life? When you, when you boil this down, what is the greatest thing that your life could be about? Now, in modern American culture, we would answer that question with something like to be happy, right? To pursue our passions and our dreams and to uh, follow our hearts and to be our true self. We might talk about uh, finding a life that's comfortable or living a life of ease. This is, this is the chief end of our, our lives is, is recreation and leisure and comfort for ourselves and being true to ourselves. But this is not what these new Christians were taught. No, no, no. They were taught this that the chief end, man's chief and highest end, is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. So happiness, comfort, ease, following your heart, living your passions, that's not what life is really about. What life is really about, when you boil this down, is that we would live to know and to follow and to serve the Lord. That we would live in a relationship with Him and that we would experience His presence even now in our lives, knowing that the direction, the purpose, the vision of our life for all of eternity is to live to give God glory and honor and praise. And so I think about this invitation that's before us from Jesus. He says, I, st I, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And he's offering us an invitation to get past ourselves, to move past the, the things that the world chases after, to move past our own self-interest and our own self-sufficiency and our own thoughts of self-dependency and self-reliance and to open our lives to something that we will only find in Him, the very presence of God. Because it's in the presence of God that we're gonna find where our lives are really meant for. Now, I don't expect you to remember this, but seven weeks ago, we started this series. We read from the very first message of Jesus to the churches, it was to the church in Ephesus. And the message that Jesus had to the church in Ephesus was that they had forsaken their first love. And when he keeps talking to them, he, he brings up that what's really at stake with them is that they might, they might lose out on the paradise of God. That's what he talked about, the paradise of God. And so that first week, we, we looked at the paradise of God, which is Revelation 21 and 22, where the new heaven and the new earth is explored and explained to us. And as we read this picture of the new heaven, the new earth, we, we saw what it is that's in the paradise of God. And sometimes when we think about heaven, we think about, how it's gonna be about all the things that we get, how our loved ones are there, our, our dogs are there. It's just all about what we get, how comfortable it's gonna be. But the reason why heaven is the perfect paradise is because in heaven, we have a perfect relationship with the Father. And so we talked about in that message that the vision, the purpose, the direction of our life 
is that we might have a relationship with the Father. And so I love, as we started this series out seven weeks ago and as we end it today, this series comes back full circle because we're back to that same exact idea. There are so many things in life that you can chase after. And as you look out at our world, there's so many temptations to chase after money, to chase after self, to chase after ease or comfort, to follow your heart, your passions, whatever it is that you want to do. And all along, there is this invitation from Jesus for something greater, something more meaningful, something deeper and far more rich than you're going to find anywhere else. And that is the presence of God extended to you. And so I just want to ask you a simple question today as we close this series. I wonder, what is the purpose, the meaning, the direction of your life right now? What would you say you're chasing after? What are the things that you're pursuing and how do you think about what makes a good life? And may you discover that the real purpose, the real meaning, the real direction of your life, it is found in Christ, enjoying Him and knowing Him and walking in His presence. Let's pray. And so, Father, we hear your invitation today that Jesus invites us through the power of the Holy Spirit to a relationship with you. And yet we do confess there's all kinds of other things that we chase after. And in the process of this, we, we grow lukewarm. We get distracted. We lose sight of what's really important. And Lord, today, would you call us back to a relationship with you, to know you, to walk with you, to love you. Forgive us and we repent of these things that, that we put before you. Sometimes it's chasing after money. Sometimes it's chasing after self. Sometimes it's chasing after ease or comfort. And, and it's living into our fears and our anxieties instead of trusting in you and loving you with our lives. May we remember that the real purpose, direction of our lives, the meaning of our lives is found in a relationship with you. We want to open our hearts to you. And I know that there are those with us today who don't understand, don't know what this is. They haven't done this for themselves. And may they hear this invitation of Jesus that you stand at the door of their hearts and you're knocking and you're asking them to open themselves to you for something deeper, more meaningful and far richer they're going to find anywhere else. And we do this with a simple prayer of Lord, we just say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? A prayer of faith that leads us to opening our lives to what you have for us. Lord, we thank you for your great love that you've shown to us in Jesus that you would extend to us this great invitation. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for worship. A special thank you to our team who made this service possible and to Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone that would benefit from this worship experience, we invite you to share it on social media. We thank you for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for the first week of our series, Give Thanks. Until then, have a great week.